What's up, everybody, and welcome to what I guess is a special edition of the Talking Chop podcast. I am joined by the great Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South to talk about the All-Decade team because Fox Sports South released an All-Decade team, I guess, last week or a week before that, and uh, it prompted me to talk about this, and Zach was kind enough to join me. So what's up, Zach? Very special edition, holiday edition of the Talking Chop podcast. And uh, no, it's good to be here, and as we get closer to the end of the decade, we're rolling out a few end-of-decade things, and uh, yeah, I think there were a few waves made um, by the all-decade list. I didn't think it was too controversial, but maybe I was the only one that thought that. It, it wasn't, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to save outfield to the very end, because that is by far <laughs> the most discussed part, and that's what we like to call a tease in the business. That'll be later on in the podcast, but we'll go down the list. Um, and yeah, like you said, not not a lot of controversial takes. In fact, some of these positions are... I thought pretty, you know, pretty easy to uh, talk about. The, fir- the first one, we'll just dive right in here, because why wouldn't we? Um, by the way, we're, we're recording on Christmas Eve, so shout out to Zach for his flexibility. Um, let's talk about starting pitchers, because it was a wasteland, is the way I would describe it, uh, in the 2010s for the Braves. For a team that had some actual, at least regular season success in this decade, um, it was kind of jarring to see how bad starting pitcher was um, on the whole. I think I remember that basically in my head, but just obviously there were some performances that were pretty good for like one or two seasons, but in terms of actual bodies of work in the 2010s for starting pitchers, there wasn't a lot to choose from. And uh, spoiler alert, you went with Tim Hudson um, on the list. And by the way, I agree with that. So what'd you make of starting pitcher in general? Cause it was, it was, it was kind of weird. Yeah, it was difficult to go through. And I think it was a stark reminder of just how bleak it has been for a franchise that built its dynasty around three Hall of Famers and clearly was the the benchmark of starting pitching uh, for a long time in in the league. And then you get to the 2010s and yeah, it was it was very limited to choose from. We went with Tim Hudson. Uh, I think it was a, a semi difficult call because I think people can make the case for Julio Tehran in the sense that he led all starting pitchers in war for the Braves, uh, was there from almost beginning to end for the decade, and he was a solid innings eater for them. Uh, went with Hudson, uh, much better ERA, much better FIP. Um, clear, didn't have as much, you know, as many innings pitched, as much playing time as Julio Tehran. But outside of those two, I mean, we, I, I, you start going down the list, and it's like Mike Fultonevich, fourth this decade in war for starting pitchers <laughs> is Alex Wood. Oh, uh, man. This is. This is all by fan graphs. Then you have Mike Miner, Chris Medlin had a nice run, uh, Tommy Hansen, and literally eighth on this list for the entire decade is already uh, Mike Soroka is already on that list um, in the top ten. He's at eighth uh, for fan graphs. So uh, it, that was that was really a reminder of why this franchise, uh, when it did go through its rebuild, they started rebuilding through their arms because especially if you look at the early part of this decade from, let's say, 2010 to 2015, 16, it was Tim Hudson, Alex Wood, Mike Miner, Chris Medlin. Uh, it was, it was, they didn't have that runaway guy that you just go, oh, clearly I'm going to put Max Scherzer on this, this, this list or Jacob deGrom or Jose Fernandez or, uh, it, it, you know, it, they didn't have that one guy that stood out as pretty much every other team in baseball probably did. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, by the way, Julio threw 600 more innings than any other pitcher for the Braves. Yeah. So if you were making this choice, it was basically a two-man race. I mean, Hudson yeah. was better on a per-game, per-season basis pretty clearly. But if you want to argue on behalf of Julio, that's fine. And by the time we're recording this, Julio is no longer in the organization officially. Obviously, he was not signed originally or um, the option was declined, but he's now he's now gone. So RIP to Julio um, in a Braves uniform. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I would have gone Hudson because the numbers are different enough to where I thought he was just better. But shout out to Julio. I mean, he was the only guy really that put together a sample that you would expect, which is what you were saying there. By the way, for the full decade, the Braves were 18th in baseball and starting pitcher war. And that isn't like a disaster, but it's not good for a team that was trying to win for most of the decade. Not all. Obviously, they had some rebuilding times. But uh, being outside the top you know, 15 in starting pitcher war, when you, figure, when you factor in a couple of the teams that were just so terrible for the entire time, it was not a pitching-dominant decade for the Braves. No, not at all. And I think one thing that really set it apart, too, was, um, and maybe this is unfair a little bit for reputation-wise, but when you factor in just how the team treated Julio Tehran when push did come to shove and they got into postseasons, uh, not getting starts, um, not you know getting the ball. He wasn't a he wasn't a choice for them, especially in their final two division title runs. I think that did kind of weigh into it as well. Just just the idea that yes, while he was a regular season uh, reliable starter, and I think he actually works pretty well for the Angels in that offense. Uh, just being able to deliver innings. He wasn't that all-decade type arm that you're kind of hoping for uh, in terms of when they did get to the postseason, handing him the ball and letting him go to work. Not to say that Tim Hudson was, um, but I think that did set it apart too, that that organizational trust factor uh, that clearly played out uh, in postseason play for them over the course of the decade too. I, I think just a lot of factors pointed to the fact that Hudson was better on a per-game basis. Um, I understand why people... And we had some people in the comments that were just like, Julio should be the choice. And, you know, he has, you know, some all-star teams under his belt. I definitely understood that. But um, it, it wasn't uh, an easy choice. But at the same time, uh, slim pickings for the Braves this decade. And we just went with a guy that is going to be a Braves, or he already is a Braves Hall of Famer. Um, and he was he was pretty good uh, this decade in the early portions of it. I would have liked to have seen if he had been able to stick around a little bit longer uh, in terms of Hudson having that ankle injury and everything like that, but uh, yeah, it, it it was slim pickings for sure. I think some I think some of the reaction um, was probably that Hudson. It felt like when you look at the list, it's like, wait, Hudson's been a, Hudson pitched enough in, in this decade to be on this team because people just kind of forget it's not been that long since Hudson was a member of the Braves. It might feel longer than that because of the wilderness that they were in for a few years there. But at the end of the day, he was second on the franchise in innings during this time. It wasn't like Hudson pitched one season and just was awesome. And that was it. He finished second in innings behind Julio uh, this decade for the Braves. So I'm with shows you. The, yeah. Any, yeah. Innings pitch shows a revolving door that they had four seasons under his belt. And again, if he would have been able to stick around that final season, uh, 2013, when they did make it back to the playoffs, um, it would have been nice to have seen him getting uh, basically uh, some postseason run on a good team. Uh, for the Braves, um, just didn't really pan out for him in Atlanta. But uh, yeah, it was, all decade choice uh, wasn't great. I think if I just like blindly had to pick one starter uh, to pitch one game, if we had kind of structured it like that, um, Mike Soroka would be really, really close to the top. I mean, he has the best 
per season per game numbers right now Soroka does uh, of the whole decade there just wasn't enough there but I mean I saw a couple of these of course I, I believe your list inspired on some of these but there were some of these um, lists that were out there from people that I follow on Twitter that want to put together full rotations and I'm like man getting to five would just be so brutal on this list um, but anyway we've, we've done enough on that um, the next the next three at least the, uh, two of the next three are like absolute slam dunks and one of them is probably another slam dunk but relief pitcher um, was pretty comically easy. I would imagine Craig Kimbrell was the only <laughs> reasonable answer. Um, am I wrong about that? Did, was this as easy as I think it was? I didn't know there were other relief pitchers this decade other than Craig Kimbrell. Um, no, I mean, you have you have Johnny Venters, who was fantastic. Um, injuries got in the way. I think if there had been a little bit more of a body of work there, but even he was about 10 wins above replacement behind Craig Kimbrell. Um, and after that, you're looking at the Jim Johnsons, Rodas Vizcainos, uh, Billy Wagner was fantastic, but just for one season, uh, you know, we think about Ovent role and, and that whole run. Um, but no, there there really wasn't much competition for for Craig Kimbrell here. All time uh, saves franch- uh, franchise saves leader uh, passes John Smoltz this decade um, and just was absolutely dominant and really started to, you know, I don't know where everyone stands on this now because he has kind of run into a little bit of uh, trouble, especially last year with the Cubs. But he was off to, you know, his first few seasons uh, in the majors with the Braves. He was off to a Hall of Fame type of start. Probably has fallen off that pace. But, I mean, a one four three ERA, one five two FIPS, just just completely run away with it. Yeah, I, I just don't even know what a Hall of Fame resume is going to look like in the modern era for a reliever. I mean, yeah, Mar- Mariano Rivera was so ridiculous that he's an obvi- he was an obvious choice. But other than that, like, who's the most recent relief pitcher that's going to make the Hall of Fame. I don't really know. It's um, a good question. I mean, but I mean, Kimbrel's right up there. You would, I would yeah. say that Kimbrel's probably the best reliever this decade, right there with the Chapmans and Kenley Jansen. I think his like, numbers are better than everybody. I mean, I think if you look yeah. at just just the decade and kind of try to remember that this year is only one year of the decade, Kimbrel had the best resume pretty easily. Yeah. So best best reliever of the decade. So he's clearly the the pick for the Braves uh, here. If he's not the best reliever this decade, if people want to throw some other guys in the mix, he's top three and uh, clearly run, runs away here for the franchise. I don't know what it looks like either in terms of the way that relief pitchers are used nowadays, um, whether it's still going to be the counting numbers and saves. I definitely think Mariano uh, had that track record in the postseason, which clearly helps. Um, and, you know, Kibrell has, you know, a little bit of postseason struggles. He does have a ring. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what it looks like now, but the time that he was in a Braves uniform, he was one of the most dominant pitchers baseball has ever seen and uh clearly was the all decade choice yeah real quickly just some numbers on Kimbrel. he finished the decade with 11 fangraphs war in 289 innings which is uh speaks for itself a 1.43 era a 1.52 fip and 14.82 strikeouts per nine innings so crazy what do you even say about that it's he's he's crazy good um i you know i i can imagine that the Braves front office and coaches miss having him slamming the door at the end of games, especially how, how things have gone in the last couple of years for this team. Um, didn't have a great year last year, and don't let that cloud your judgment in terms of uh, him being just an absolute stud when he was in Atlanta. Yep, there you go. Um, all right, let's go. Let's go to catcher. This one is a little bit closer, probably not that close still, but Brian McCann is the choice. Of course, he he came back 
to the Braves, which was interesting. Um, he was better in the previous decade. At least his highs were higher in the previous decade, but still a pretty um, impressive overall body of work. I, th- I think he had 22 and a half um, fan graphs war during the 2010s. Still was a 10% above league, league average hitter. Um, there were some other contenders, at least fringe contenders, but McCann felt like a pretty easy one too. By Fangraphs War, he was their second best position player, or really player overall, the entire decade. I know they factor in a lot of pitch framing and defense into that, but uh, Brian McCann, for me, was the runaway choice. Um, I think Tyler Flowers has been much better than his reputation that precedes him nowadays. Strong agree Um, on that. Strong, strong agree on that. (laughs) People really dislike Tyler Flowers, but even though he's still hitting 4% above league average at 350 OBP, uh, helped a lot by getting hit by a bunch of pitches, but Tyler Flowers has been good. Um, outside of that, there's really no real competition, even if he's competition for Brian McCann. McCann doubled him up in war. Uh, pretty easy pick, especially with McCann coming back. The story, uh, I thought he was pretty good, better than I expected last season in his final uh, go-round, helping them get back to the playoffs. Uh, but Brian McCann was clearly the all-decade choice. And again, just like starting pitching, another reminder that while they found really good stop gaps, they found... Uh, good platoons and duos. Uh, they haven't found that that successor for the Brian McCann that they were hoping for a guy this decade like the Christian Bethencourt would be. And now they're hoping for a couple young catchers down in the minors, hoping they will be in the future. Uh, but they just haven't found that guy yet. And McCann is still kind of the benchmark for this decade. Yeah, to, to the Braves' credit, they've done a good job piecing together those duos the last few years and actually have gotten really good production from catcher. I think underrated production. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the choice is fairly clear. I do. I, I will say, if you believe fan graphs and there's some controversy about how much the framing should factor in, Flowers looks pretty darn good on fan graphs most of the time. Um, we'll leave that there for now. But McCann just played a lot more, too, and was better. So, by the way, one thing I want to throw in there just for uh, something. Evan Gaddis had the highest WRC, WRC plus and selecting percentage of any catcher for the Braves this, de- this decade. That's wild. Shots to Evan no, Gattis. I mean, the thing about, also, I'll just throw in real quick. The thing about fan graphs and their catcher war, and when they threw in pitch framing, I think it was last offseason, yep. uh, and they really adjusted all of their wins above replacement metrics, um, it really pushed Brian McCann to the forefront of a Hall of Fame catcher conversation. Uh, when you look at catchers since 2000, it's basically him. He's up there with the likes of Buster Posey, who feels like he's on a Hall of Fame sort of track. Um, I don't necessarily buy into that, but the fan graphs readjusting that war has pushed Brian McCann to being one of the elite, elite, elite catchers uh, this century so far. And uh, yeah, I mean, you look at him in a Braves uniform, uh, clearly ran away with it for me, but it's at least interesting to talk about. Again, I don't think him or Kimbrell are Hall of Fame locks by any means, um, but it's at least a conversation starter for where they rank, not only in a Braves uniform, but where they rank over the course of their careers. Yeah, I do think, just for the record, McCann has seven All-Star appearances, six Silver Sluggers, which I'm not sure how much that matters, but it probably is going to go on his resume. He has a World Series and an All-Star Game MVP, which I don't care about at all, but people will add that too. He has a pretty decent Hall of Fame resume, if you look at it. So I'm not sure he's going to get in either, but he'll be one of those guys that's clearly on the ballot and discussed as a as a relatively prominent option when it comes. I don't know if he's going to make it in or not, but that's a weird one. Catcher's kind of like a relief pitcher in some ways. Like, what's the baseline for catcher, particularly now? I don't know. No idea. Um, I, <laughs> I, would, I would assume that the guy that first comes to mind for me is Posey, just because of his 
he has, uh, the, he has the rings too, which helps. Yeah, I mean, he has he has the rings and with with a Z at the end. Rings. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, McCann's up there. He he's had a he had a fantastic career. I keep forgetting he's already retired. Uh, fantastic career for him, and uh, yeah, the all decade choice for the Braves. All right, let's go to first base. Where if there was anything that was could be even, even easier than Craig Kimbrell, it's Freddie Freeman at first base um, because he's been the full time guy at first base since 2011 and played the entire decade. Uh, sorry, the, his entire career so far in this decade. It's just hilarious to look at first base, honestly. If you try to do a fan graph search about the Braves' first baseman, it's Freddie Freeman and just nothing. It's kind of funny. Absolutely nothing. Top five for people listening. This is not a joke. Matt Adams, who had the most uh, second most playing time. He played 100 um, games, I think it was. Something like that. Well, it's I, like- I take that back. Fourth most playing time. But Matt Adams, number two. He was very good. When Freddie Freeman went down, so good, in fact, that Freddie moved to third base. That really uh, happened in this decade. <laughs> Freddie Freeman played for, third base. For the time being, third place on this list, 39 games played, Derek Lee. Oh, my God. Derek Lee was good for uh, that brief time. But... For that thir- for those 39 games. Uh, fourth place is Eric Kinski. And no. fifth, fifth place, <laughs> I swear I'm not lying to everybody, it is Brandon Snyder. With 37 games played, oh, uh, the Lord. the only other player that had a significant amount of games played for them this decade would have been Troy Gloss, um, who, who played some third during that time too. Like, oh, yeah, man. hit hit four percent above league average. Defense really tears, uh, really kind of brings him down. But I'm not kidding. It's Freddie Freeman, Matt Adams, Derek Lee, Eric Hinsky, and Brandon Snyder. That mostly is because. No one even played except for Freddie Freeman. He was an Iron Man for them, one of the best position players in all of baseball this decade, um, best player for the Braves this decade. I was going to say, he's, he's the player it's, of the decade. Spoiler yeah, alert. <laughs> he's, he's player of the decade for this franchise. So in fairness to all of the other uh, names you could pull out of a hat in terms of trivia answers, uh, there really was no competition for Freddie because he was by and large healthy over the course of this decade uh, from start to finish. Just a complete superstar, 227 home runs, uh, hitting 37% above league average. Um, so not to demean those other guys, they didn't really have a fair shot, but I would, I am just going to go out on a limb and say if they had the same amount of playing time, it still wouldn't be close. It would not be. And uh, like I said, probably the probably the, the easiest one because at least, it, at least the relief pitcher, Johnny Ventures, was like awesome for a time. Um, there's nobody else at first base. All right, Zach, we'll take a quick break, go to the sponsors real fast. We'll come right back, talk about second base, shortstop, third base, and of course, the outfield. So hold on tight. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Zach, we're back. Uh, second base is next on the agenda. This one's pretty easy, too. Not as easy as first base, um, but it's a guy who's currently on the roster. Yeah, Ozzy Albies uh, was pretty much a runaway for me. I really didn't consider anybody else a true uh, threat to him. I was a little surprised with the 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 feedback. Uh, we had a few UGLA votes, which I think if you polled people in, to, in 2012, 2013, 2014, what they thought about that, um, he would be at the bottom of the list. But a little bit of a, a redemption for Dan UGLA over the course of time. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's Ozzy always running away with it. He played more than a few 100 fewer games, and he doubled UGLA up in war by fan graphs. Um, he's clearly become one of the top young stars in the game, uh, dealt with these second half issues at the back of 2018, rebounded this past year and really just put together start to finish a really, really good season. And a guy that I think slowly they're coming around to the fact that he's a top of the lineup, uh, type of threat for them. And if he can be that player year in and year out, that four or five war player, he's just, a, he's an all around star. And we could never say that about Dan Ugla. And even though Ozzy always only has, what, two-plus seasons in the bigs, it, it really wasn't close for me. Yeah, I agree on all of that. I will say, um, Ugla was better than people thought he was in the moment. Yep. He was not great, by any means, and the extension was not a good extension. <laughs> uh, but he was better than people thought he was. Now, he was not nearly as good as Ozzy Albies, because uh, Ozzy Albies, by the way, in 375 games... Is it basically 10 war in both Fangraphs and Baseball Reference? That's less than two and a half seasons. That's like a four-plus win pace, and he's still extremely young. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's a, he's a star-level player. Like, he's not he's not Ronald Acuna, but he's really, really good at baseball, and that is worth pointing out. And the numbers, he has the, he has the best numbers by far, uh, and despite the fact that he arrived late in 2017, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the choice. Ugla being the... Very obvious number two is kind of funny in its own right, but uh, yeah, Ozzy's the one. Yeah, I mean, Ugla was had two really strong seasons in Atlanta. That's to take nothing away from him. I think the narrative of the strikeouts and everything did catch up with him, but uh, and obviously the the OBP once that really fell off a cliff, uh, he because he was no longer a, a choice for them to yeah, stay he, at second he base. Used to wa- he used to walk and then he stopped walking. That was yeah, he had thirty six home runs in two thousand eleven. Then he turned around and had a three forty eight OBP. Uh, both of those seasons hit well above league average. Then in 2013, the bat went away, and he was never going to be a defensive threat. Uh, so 2013 is, even though he hit 22 home runs, that's really where things started hitting uh, hitting the skids. He struck out 32% of the time that year. Um, no, I, I, I think that history has done a little bit of a, has recouped some value for Dan Ugla in terms of, oh, this guy hit for power, and he got on base at some times. And um, yeah, he was pretty good. But he's not in Ozzy Albee's uh, stratosphere at all. No, the per-game stuff is not even close there. Um, okay, let's go to shortstop, where an old friend makes an appearance. 
very easy again. Uh, a lot of these are pretty easy, Zach. So congratulations on all the, on all the work you've done on this list. No, yeah, I'm kidding. Congratulations on being able to do this on top, um, just off the top of your head. <laughs> For the most part, uh, anyway, uh, Anderson Simmons is the choice. He had the most played appearances and the most games, and easily the most wins above replacement in 499 games. Uh, his defense is, speaks for itself. It's it's Hall of Fame worthy. Um, number The argument for number two is not really there either. I think it's probably Dansby Swanson based on how much he's played, but Andrelton's in a different class than Dansby. No question, uh, especially at this You look at just the decade now. Dansby could find his groove in his yes. late 20s, and we could see. But just for this decade, if we're having that cutoff point, uh, Andrelton Simmons is clearly the runaway choice. And I think it's another reminder of just how much talent scattered over the course of this decade they have had you know you have a you know arguably a the top reliever if not a top three reliever um a top three top five catcher this decade a top three first baseman this decade and a the best defensive player in all of baseball at a premium position the best like bar none Andrew and simmons is the all decade player for all the majors uh defensively and we just we're just watching something special. Uh, what he's able to do year in and year out, I think he absolutely ran away with defensive runs saved. And clearly, we see the highlights on a nightly basis. Uh, no longer in Atlanta now that he's out in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I thought that was a pretty easy choice. Um, I I think that Atlanta they they still regret that trade. I mean, I, I don't think there's really any two ways about that um, until Sean Newcomb really becomes something and he has you know he's another guy that has some time but uh Angleton 16 below league average with the bat uh when he was in atlanta and almost immediately turned it on when he got out to los angeles that was unfortunate for atlanta that he really hit his prime on the west coast but even if you're just judging him versus all other shortstops it's dansby swanson johan camargo alex gonzalez I mean, Danny Echeverria is fifth on this list for the decade <laughs> oh um, in, in war. Uh, it's really not close. Anderson ran away with it. Oh, Alex Gonzalez. Those were some years in my in my life. Um, <laughs> I will say I feel old because Anderson's 30 now. That just yeah. feels like I'm old. But uh, yeah, he's he was awesome. He still is very good at baseball. His defense is just what it is. And yeah, the trade, it made some sense in the moment, but uh, it did not work out well. I will say. No, especially with him finding his bat. I mean, that's the thing is that they were they basically sold on a guy that was all defense, very little bat, and that proved not to be true in the long run. Yeah, he's he's still the bat's not great, but he had, I think he had two um, plus seasons with the bat, like not not crazy plus, but certainly good enough. And yeah, overall, last, last last year fell off, uh, but yeah, the the years the two years before that in 2017 and 2018, I mean, he's putting up five war seasons and. I can remember at various points in both of those seasons, he was getting MVP love um, just because of, I think he, at some points he kind of caught fire with the bat. He's hitting something like 10, 20% above league average. And he's the best defensive player in the game. Uh, not as much last year. I think he ran into some injury issues if memory serves last year. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, clearly he's a, a superstar shortstop when, when all is going well. I totally agree. Um, all right, third base is interesting because we're about to give the award to someone who's already in the Hall of Fame, and it takes five years to get in the Hall of Fame, Zach. <laughs> so uh, that means a Chipper Jones, of course. Chipper, it's kind of crazy. Chipper played 333 games, which is basically two seasons. 
it was more than two seasons. It was over three seasons, but um, two seasons worth of play at ages 30, 38 to 40. And he was still awesome, which is insane. He had a 122 WRC plus in this decade. Obviously, his best decade was the previous one, where he was arguably the best player in the entire decade, or one of the one of the very, very few best players. But he was still a strongly above-average hitter at 38 to 40, and um, considering the revolving door at third base, that was enough. Yeah, I mean, so the way that we kind of put this together, I kind of put the list together, and we kind of debated it internally up at the office, and this one was closer than I think a lot of people, when we put the list out, they just kind of went along with it. It's because, definitely like, one Chipper, of the closer ones, I will say that. Yeah, I mean, Chipper's a Hall of Famer, and everybody's like, yeah, everybody loves Chipper, and, like, that's that. But, like, this was the debate between, okay, how do you take a guy's peak, or do you take a guy's full accomplishments over the course of the decade, and how do you weigh out those two variables? And Josh Donaldson was really close here for me uh, in terms of Chipper Jones never came close so what in in this decade? In this decade, don't, yes. <laughs> don't, don't like nobody quote me is like oh you forgot about 1999. But like this decade, jo- uh, Chipper Jones never came close to what Josh Donaldson did last season. Josh Donaldson was a 4.9 WAR player. Uh, Chipper was 6.9 WAR over the course of those three seasons that you mentioned. So that was difficult in the sense that Donaldson played half the games and he hit just five fewer home runs. I mean. His bat last year was really, really good. I agree with you. It's insane that Chipper hit 22% above league average at, at the back end of his 30s uh, and into his age 40 season. But Josh Donaldson hit 32% above league average. So I think it, the debate came down to, um, okay, over the you know how much do you weigh just one season? I think if we had two seasons, and this is pretty obvious if anybody's just doing the math, two seasons of Josh Donaldson at anywhere close to the rate he was last year, I think he's the pick. Uh, it, it was it was much closer than I think the the reaction was that it's just like, oh, yeah, Chipper, definitely. That makes sense. Uh, Donaldson came really close here. Yeah, it's just really hard to go with, with a guy who played one season. That's just what it comes yeah. down to. And, you know, it feels, again, kind of weird that Chipper played three seasons in this decade. But he did, and it was enough to do it. I mean, other than those two guys, you know, you have Chris Johnson having the one fluke season where he hit like 320. But other than that, third base was a wasteland. From the time the chipper left until last season, it was really ugly. I mean, Camargo was good two years ago. Um, but it was just a lot of players that you may not remember, but not 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 great at third base for a long oh, time. Oh, I, I remember. You remember, but the fans <laughs> may not remember. I, I, how, could, how could I forget Juan Francisco? And, oh, Chris Johnson was my guy that I just can't it, ever forget. But yeah, And Adonis Garcia. I mean, who could who could forget those... Uh, those just just gems in Braves history at third base. Uh, no, they finally found a true replacement. You're right. Camargo was really good in 2018 at third base. But if they were searching for a guy that could hit and provide the type of value that Chipper Jones did there year in and year out for, what, two decades, uh, Josh Donaldson was that heir apparent for, for the first time. And now they're in the midst of a, an offseason where they're kind of looking for where did they go from there. Yep, and that's, uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, we can move on from there to the one that got by far, at least, and what I saw of your mentions, the most attention was outfield. Shocking, shocking. It was not shocking in any way. Um, <laughs> we did not prep. We did not prep for this, other than talking for a few minutes about this at the time. Um, I came up with five 
candidates that would have been reasonable choices. Um, you went just for people, so people know the Fox Sports team, not just not just Zach, went with Ronald Acuna, Jason Hayward, and Justin Upton. Those were, those those were the choices that actually happened. I came up with two more candidates that had a chance, and or at least a somewhat argument, and they were and they were Marcakis and Ender Ciarte. Was there anybody else that you added to the list that you considered? Because I think the number six for me would have been Michael Bourne, but it was kind of a small sample size. Yeah, I mean, outfield is kind of tricky here. Um, the one thing that we probably could have added to this mix is like a utility player uh, because Martin Prado, Prado yeah. uh, is probably in that mix as well. But no, I mean, I think one, like we didn't get any pushback on one of the guys, and that's Ronald Acuna Jr., yep. who is, let's just get out of the way, the best all-around outfielder, maybe you know on a per game basis the best all-around player this team at uh saw this decade now he wasn't up there with freddie freeman because he only played two seasons but uh ronald Coon jr we got zero pushback for whatsoever and that uh, it should be obvious to everybody he's an absolute superstar the only argument against ronald is the is longevity but when you factor in that he's you know more than nine war in 267 games that's just kind of ridiculous. Like, and again, a per game basis, it's just not even close. There were some Hayward years where he was that good on a war basis, but when you factor every, when you factor everything in, Acuna, no one's gonna argue with Acuna, especially right now, because everybody loves Acuna right now anyway. So no one's gonna argue against Ronnie. I think we could probably put that one in in pen. That was uh, the right choice. Now here's where things got really interesting, and maybe not surprising whatsoever, but still interesting to me in terms of how memory works, how we retrospectively view players. Um, the argument became, uh, in, in the aftermath of just posting this list, the argument became Hayward versus Marcakis. Oh, God, why? Why are we doing this? And, the cl- and for me, that's really fascinating because the closest call in the actual argument is Ender versus Justin Upton. Yeah, I, I'm definitely closer to what you said there about it being the closest call. I think Hayward, and honestly for me, Hayward would be number one. And it's because, oh, yeah. because Easy of, for me. I mean, it's not even, again, Acuna's been better on a per-game basis. No one's saying otherwise. But Hayward played a lot more. He is the comfortable, comfortable leader in both or metrics, both baseball reference, at 23.2 and 19.9 Fangraphs war. People have forgotten this. But Hayward had a 117 WRC plus with the Braves. That is very good. <laughs> it's if not you were, if you were arguing Hayward versus Marquez, I like I don't know where to start. With it blows my because, mind. It really does. And and again, this isn't just like just you know Braves fans. It, I was really surprised by this, and I shot you a screenshot. Uh, the dude Andrew Jones, arguably the top three outfielder in Braves history. Uh, was in our mention saying yes, Marcakis over Hayward. That really just, threw that really threw me as somebody that comes from a defensive background too. I don't get um, it. That to me, you're right. Jason Hayward offensively not even close this decade in a Braves uniform. Now maybe they're for their careers. You could argue that Nick Marcakis has been a better offensive player. Yeah, but in a Braves uniform, Jason Hayward 17 percent above league average. Nick Marcakis three percent above league average. Defense, they are in completely different universes. Uh, Jason Hayward is right behind Andrew Dan Simmons in terms of defensive runs saved for the entire decade among all MLB players. Uh, so defense sets him apart. Offense, they are not even close when you just look at uh, way to runs created plus. And then if you want to, because it does matter in all three phases of the game, 
base running isn't close either. No, uh, it, it is not. Like they are not even close to comparable uh, in a Braves uniform, and that to me is it's so fascinating how the the conversation always comes back to Hayward, and I find this really fascinating too. The, the idea around Hayward is that that and why people react so uh, negatively towards him is because he didn't live up to the hype. And yep. I think that there's a there's a positive, uh, maybe not positive, but there there is a valid conversation that can be had there uh, about whether Jason Hayward became uh, what he was supposed to become. And you could argue no, especially uh, with the, you know Mickey Mantle uh, hype that Bobby Cox even threw on him. So I think all that's fair. At the same time, the idea that he underperformed and Nick Markakis has over-delivered is fascinating. Jason Hayward put up 17, 19 war for this for this decade in a Braves uniform and made about $10 million. Nick Markakis put up six war and has made $50 million. And it, it's so funny how, like, who over-delivered, who under-delivered. Um, it, it's just not a conversation for me. But that was the conversation on on the information superhighway uh, when the actual <laughs> when the actual argument that we had internally was Ender versus Upton because Upton was fantastic with the bat for two seasons, but Ender and Ciarte is second in WAR uh, this decade for, among outfielders. He's one of the best defensive players over the last five years, um, and what, won three Gold Gloves, went to an All Star game. Uh, that one was really, really, really close for us. Um, I went with Upton because just on a, uh, if you had to put the, put out a best of outfield, um, I felt like he had the track record and he hit 31% above league average with two seasons in Atlanta. Um, Upton narrowly edged Indrinciarte. Jason Hayward lapped Nick Markakis and it wasn't even close in, in our conversations. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on Hayward versus Marcakis or Hayward versus anyone just because it is kind of silly. I agree with everything you said earlier about the perception stuff, and I do think it's part of that living up to the billing. I would argue that any rational expectation of Jason Hayward would tell you that it was still a massive success. When a guy has 20 with a replacement for a decade and he didn't play the whole decade with that team, like, I don't even know what you're supposed to say about that. Was he was he Mickey Mantle? No. Was he Ronald Acuna? No. But... He uh, was really good. Uh, and Markekis, I mean, the the only thing on the baseball field that Markekis does better than Hayward um, during the Braves' run was hit for average. That was that was it, basically. And I think people forget they played the uh, – Markekis edged him in games played, but they both played five seasons in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, Mark, like they, Nick, Nick is definitely, you know, arguably his best trade or one of his best traits is the fact that he's been incredibly durable, except for this season. He finally had an injury, but – Marquez, if you want to be critical of him as I have been, he's been incredibly durable, and that's that's a huge thing. So he was number one in plate appearances. Um, that does matter. But when one guy has three, and I'm not exaggerating here, three times the WAR on both on both Baseball Reference and Fangraphs, even if you hate WAR, like you have to acknowledge the split there. It's just not even particularly close. <laughs> not um, even close. Just a reminder for everybody that slugging percentage matters. Um, defense matters, base running matters, everything matters, and their OBP is separated by just eight points. So I, it, I, be, I bet you would lose a bet if you if you bet Braves like random average Braves fan X, and you said you know give me a fit, even if you said twenty point split on an OBP, I bet people would stay Marquez. 
Oh, easily. And, and I think it's also it's also fascinating too. Uh, I know we're mentioning weighted runs created plus, and that is a league adjusted metric. But like Nick Markakis did this in a much uh, much more offensively uh, friendly offensive offense friendly environment, uh, especially last year with the uh, the baseballs and what you know whatever you want to make of that conversation. Um, that that's one of the reasons why too is that Jason Hayward was uh, was that good. Uh, in a, in a much more uh, defense pitching inducive uh, uh, environment. So I, I, I just, it's such a weird conversation. I was ready for it. I, I think I texted you uh, before we even put out the list. And I was like, hey, <laughs> uh, just so you're aware, ready. Like, we're going to put up Hayward and Upton and uh, people are going to be mad. And uh, breaking news, headline news, uh, people were mad. Yeah. Okay. So we can move away from Hayward. I think we agree that Hayward and Acuna were easy selections. Now, the Upton versus Enciarte, and if you want to throw Marquez in as well, that conversation is more nuanced. Upton, yeah. I, w- I would compare it to earlier one we had at the very beginning of this podcast with Hudson versus Tehran, where Upton is Hudson and Ender is Tehran. Yep. Um, you have a guy who had, who played for longer, had a lot more plate appearances, um, was more of an accumulator. Um, he leads. Uh, Ender is second behind Hayward in both war categories. So if you want to argue Ender versus Upton, I have no problem with that whatsoever. He is the worst hitter of the bunch, Ender is, of this five. He's the worst hitter. But he's either the best or second best defender, depending on how you feel about Hayward. Um, and Ender was doing it at center field, which is more of a uh, premium position. So, I mean, I'm okay with that. It's almost interesting. Is Marquecas fifth for you out of these five? Uh, it seems like it's, yeah, it seems like, it seems mean, like he is, but pro- yeah, probably. I mean, he's probably fifth, especially when you look at a guy like Michael Bourne, who was also defensive side. Um, yeah, I mean, Mark Akis is fifth. Um, I think that's fair. And I, I mean, think he's, it, he's very clearly the worst on a per game basis by all the numbers. He just is. No, yeah. No question there. I think that people could make a rational conversation of Mark Akis versus Upton. Yep. And, I agree. You know, I, I think there's a case to be made there. Five seasons versus two, even though Upton still beat him out in war, despite all that difference in playing time. Um, it, Upton was clearly a better hitter. But, you know, Marquecas does have a bit of longevity. I, my thing is just, like, Marquecas has had one really good season in five years in Atlanta. Like, one. He had, you know, and he, and he won all the awards, and he got all the deserved credit. You know, it's it's good for him that he made his first All Star team that and he, late. In and his he, was he was good. He was good. He was he was very very good. But one good year out of five, and Justin Upton had two good years out of two. Like that to me is just like what separates the other you know the other players on this list from a guy like Markakis. I think he is number five, uh, depending on what position you want to put a Martin Prado, um, who's more of a utility guy. I I, I had a tough time kind of penciling him in in one position and putting him above uh, anyone. Yeah, you, um, you couldn't get there. I mean, you, there's just not a path for him in any, any of the spots. Again, if you if you had the utility spot, it would be it would be Prado very easily. But it's just, you know, he played second, but he's not going to go ahead of Ozzy. He played third. He's not going to go ahead of Chipper. He played in the outfield. Right. He's not better than the, he's not better than these guys. So, right. I mean, it'd be good to reward Prado, who was really good and obviously a fan favorite, but. Yeah, I think it's a five-player race, and to your point, I mean, it's just it it is easier to argue Marquecas versus Upton than it is to even even against Ender because this might be controversial, but if you look at the numbers, there really is no argument for Mar- for Marquecas over Enciarte. There's just not. 
It doesn't no, there exist. really there really isn't. And it, it was really surprising that we didn't get more of a, you know, I was fully prepared for like people just to be like, Ender Acuna Marquecas is my all decade outfield because you do have a little bit of recency bias. People are very attached right now to that outfield, winning two division titles based essentially with those those three guys as the starters. Um, people are very attached to that outfield, but it, it's just that 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 side of the argument I was ready for, but uh, I did <laughs> I I did feel I did feel I don't want to say bad, but that that race was really close leaving Ender and Ciarte off, but we didn't get nearly as much pushback and support. And, uh, in, in terms of like the, uh, the, the bandwagon trying to get Ender and Ciarte's name out there, uh, it was all Marquecas all the time. And people are just wrong, uh, when it comes to that, <laughs> uh, Ender, Ender deserved, uh, more credit than probably I gave him on this list. Um, but it was really, really tight with him and Upton. But people didn't want to have that argument. They wanted to have the Mark Akis argument, which is non-existent to me. Yeah, it's it's kind of silly. I, I wonder if we did this a year ago or a year and a half ago, if yeah. Ender would have gotten more love. Because Ender, I think his star with the fan base has fallen with the injuries, and he hasn't been as good recently. But you know, when he when he had, when he had three hundred that season. You could had two hundred hits. You would have told, people were telling me he was the greatest player in the history of the world. So it's kind of funny. Marquecas, you know, it's always been a divide between people that are interested in it. And even I'm, I hesitate to even call them advanced numbers, like kind of the standard numbers, other than batting average. There's always been this divide between people that care about that and defense versus people that are fans of Marquecas. <laughs> um, but there is this notion that he's a better defender than the numbers think he is. I don't, you know, we can have the argument another day. And of course he won the gold glove last year. I'm using quotation marks that people can't see right now, but I don't know, man. Like I, I'm not surprised. Like I don't think I don't think I don't think you are either necessarily by the reaction because Marquecas is beloved by a large section of the fan base. But if you look at the numbers and the profiles, it's just he's not in the mix. Honestly, I mean, if you yeah. want to, if you if you want to remove the way I, I wrote this down to myself, so I, so I made sure I'd say it out loud. The way to get to Marquecas on a top three list is if you just basically toss out the small samples, the small sample size guys. But to do that, you have to get rid of. Acuna. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, oh, that's the way to do it. Point. No, that's a, that's a great point. You have to toss out, you know, Donaldson, Acuna, uh, Upton. Tim, Tim Hudson, Upton. Yeah. You have to toss all those guys out and just say like, well, you have to play a minimum of four or five seasons. And that's how you get to Marquez. Cause he, 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 he'd be there. He'd, he'd be in the top three with Hayward and Ciarte. If you put like a three season cap on it and said you had to play three seasons or more, which you didn't do. And I don't think you should. And but, people would still be mad about Hayward being on that list too. Oh, which would be hilarious because he'd be the runaway number one. But honestly, I mean, this is a different conversation in some respects, but uh, I believe Hayward finished third on the team in war this decade. Yeah, behind Freeman and McCann. Third on the third. Like ahead of Chipper, ahead of Andrelton, ahead of Albies, ahead of all these people, ahead of Hudson, ahead of Kimbrell. Third, <laughs> Mark uh, Mark Bowman put out his top ten players list. He had Hayward second, and honestly, if I was making my own list, he'd be right there in that mix too. He was that good. He just like the the reputation has just really taken a turn. I really find it fascinating what you just said about how Ender's tar- star has turned uh, as he dealt with injuries last season and couldn't follow up with a fourth straight Gold Glove. Because to me, especially offensively. 
Ender was playing some of the best baseball he has in a Braves uniform in the second half last year before he got injured with the hamstring rounding third base. Ender was playing that well. It's funny to me how Marcakis's star has not taken a dip whatsoever after, I'm trying to be kind here, after completely disappearing in two straight playoff series. I mean, absolutely middle of the bat, uh, middle of the order bat, and just giving them nothing in two straight NLDS losses. Uh, Marcakis had a 350 OPS against the Dodgers in 2018, a 372 OPS against the Cardinals last season. That includes a 182 OBP. Uh, it's funny to me how like the the idea that Marcakis not delivering on the biggest stage for this team, and not it's not like the the series is, falls on him. I'm just saying it's curious how Ender's star turned with the fan base due to injuries, but Marcakis is still just uh, the fan base just still is red hot on him despite two straight division series, um, him just completely disappearing and really hampering the team. And it, it, I don't say he's a, he is the reason or even like a top, you know, the top reason. Um, but he is a, a, a pretty, a, a pretty significant reason why the team is still waiting for their first, uh, division series win and why they, they went an entire decade without one in, in the 2010s. Yeah, it's it's definitely anecdotal in some respects, and I can only go on my experience. But it just feels like there is a segment of the fan base that does not let anything weigh them down with Marquez. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is that you know the narrative is very strong. He gets a lot of po- I would say f- positive treatment in the media for his clubhouse stuff, and it's, that's all worthwhile. He's a good clubhouse guy. You you know that more than I would even. You're you're in the clubhouse, and you would know that he has a positive impact there. But it is interesting. I think some of it is that people look back and remember his performance more fondly than it actually was. And I think he was also the guy that they signed to sort of help lead them through the rebuild. And people thought that he was better than he was even then. So it's kind of, it kind of rolls onto itself in a lot of ways. And Ender, aside from the one season where Ender hit 300, quote unquote, and that's the thing that mattered to people, he's been better than people thought he was essentially the entire time he's been here other than that, other than that season. And that, in that season, it was like, oh, 200 hits. He's an awesome hitter. And every other season, it's like, oh, he, he can't hit. And I'm like, no, he's not a great hitter, but his defense matters at center field. And it's the stuff that we talk about all the time. It's, it's not worth litigating at all now, but it is very interesting. I think you I think you use the word fascinating. I am also fascinated by just the dynamics in the fan base and how they see various players and Hayward is perhaps the poster child for fans hating advanced numbers. But uh yeah, it's just weird to me. But unless you throw out the small sample size guy, you just can't get the Mark Hickus in the top three. I, I just don't you know, there's not an argument for it. It's basically just batting average. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from, uh, as you mentioned, the clubhouse stuff. Everybody likes him. It matters. Clearly, clearly it he has he has some support uh, with some pretty legendary outfielders uh, as well. I mean, there 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 is <laughs> there is some real Marcakis, you know, hype there, and and I do think he gets some credit for, you know, he's had some milestones in a Braves uniform. He got to two thousand hits in a Braves uniform, that matters too. a thousand doubles, and it, it th- those types of milestones remind people. Uh, of his career longevity, that he has been a, a good hitter for a very, very long time in the majors. But his best years were in Baltimore. And I, I think for, for some reason that gets lost in the shuffle, especially as you're putting together an all-decade team. Uh, Jason Hayward's prime was in Atlanta. Marcakis's prime was in Baltimore. Um, you know, 
Upton had has had a pretty long you know career of being pretty steady. He didn't have necessarily the peaks and valleys. Um, uh, Ender his, his prime has been in Atlanta, uh, no question. And he really gets carried by having one elite skill, like elite elite skill, and that is his defense. And I think as just as we kind of put a cap on this and you put your outfield together, if you were going into playoff series and you could have each of those players in their Atlanta primes, who would you rather have? For me, that was I'm running out an outfield of Upton Hayward and Acuna. Um, and it that's where it really separated things for me is like as long as they don't have just like a one season sample size, um, who would you who would who would be your group? And uh, that for me is when those guys were at their best, uh, that would be the outfield. And that's to take nothing away from the current guys. You know, they've helped them win division titles, um, not trying to make this. You know, it, that's, I texted you this. I was just like, it's funny how it's always a negative thing of like, oh, if that guy's not on the list, that means you are crapping on him. But right. what it actually is is a celebration of the greatness of other players. And those guys just missed the cut, especially for Ender Inciarte, who was very, very good this decade. And uh, it, that that is always the the fun part about this. I know this has kind of turned into a un you know unfortunately a Mark Akis bashing session. Uh, but as, it's not. As, he, he, it's not like he a, didn't help them. He helped them as as a backlash to the backlash. But it's not really what we're getting at here. Is that Marquez was a good player in a Braves uniform? I would argue he he wasn't a great player and not quite as great as the other guys on the list. Yeah, I mean this is not a negative, and I I'm with you 100 percent on all of the way that that sometimes comes out in uh, reaction to media things. Like not having someone on this list is not saying that they're bad. <laughs> like that's not what that is. You have a you're picking one guy from every position and three outfielders. Um, the guy who finishes fourth in an all-decade list for a franchise is usually a pretty good player. So it's yeah. not, or finishes second in a position. Or unless you're, unless you're first base with the Braves, number two is usually pretty, pretty good. I was about to say fourth for for Atlanta at first base was Eric Kinski or Brandon Snyder. So hey, don't don't uh, do, do not shame Eric Kinski. He had one very very large <laughs> swing in his Braves uniform. That is very um, very true. Alas. Um, all right, Zach, we, we've spent a lot of time on this. I appreciate all of the time here. Anything that you want to say about this list? And if not, I will let you get out of here, but please plug yourself. It's uh, it's the holiday season. I'm sure you guys have, have some content to be sharing. Yeah, we do. Um, happy holidays to everybody, first and foremost. We have a ton of end-of-decade uh, stuff running at Fox Sports Braves. We also have a holiday marathon for the Braves. Rewind if people are that interested in reliving the best games on Fox Sports Southeast on Christmas Eve and Christmas. Uh, so head over there and just uh, enjoy all of that content as we get closer and closer to 2020. And I, I join Brad in waiting for the big the big move to address the middle of the order bat. I'm sure everybody's waiting on pins and needles of that. Oh, for it, that as it's well. going to happen in the next half hour. That's how this works. I, when I record when I record a podcast, a move happens immediately. So just be ready. I, I will start preparing for that immediately. Um, but yeah, and then we'll start putting together our uh, our all decade for the 20s list here soon. So we'll get going on that, and by the end of that, we'll be like in our <laughs> 50s, Brad. So that, that'll be fine. We are old, you and I. Um, <laughs> thank you, Zach, for joining me, my friend. We'll do this again in a less special episode fashion. We could just talk about what's going on now, but this was fun. All right, have a good one, buddy. You as well. And as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. I'm not sure when we'll be back, but if there's a big move, we'll we'll address it. And if nothing else, we'll see you later on.